Good morning. So last week, Glenn kind of ended things with this idea, or, or not an idea, but a, a scripture of Jesus um, when he's sending out the disciples and saying that they were going to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, and, and as you guys know, as I shared last time that I preached, I really felt like God had in mind for us for at least the first part of this year for us to continue this idea of of moving forward, of progressing in our ability and in our call to be community with one another. And so, um, you know, it's really, really, I love it when this happens, but Monday morning as I'm spending time with the Lord, um, this passage that we are, are going to look at today was in the reading for that day. Um, and I don't know if, uh, how many of you guys, if any of you are reading along with us on that, wearethechurchreading.com, um, but it just, it's, it's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and so we're just working our way through the Bible for the, through the course of the year. Um, and so I invite you, if you're not a part of that, to jump on board. It's just, it's really neat when a group of us together read. But this passage, um, man, the Lord really highlighted that for me this, this, this first part of this week. Um, but it's one that um, can be viewed with negative connotations, uh, and you'll see what I mean when we get there. And so anytime I feel like the Lord is leading me to an area where um, there could be controversy or uh, it could be a time where people may want to pull back a little bit, I'm always hesitant. But then Wednesday morning, Glenn posted a, a devotion by A.W. Tozer that echoed the same. I mean, even the wording was some of, some of the same. And so for me, that was an awesome confirmation. And then throughout the rest of this week, the Lord has just continued over and over and over to speak the same message. And so I share that with you guys today because... Um, we're going we're gonna to have some conversation today that may be difficult, and jokingly I will say I'm glad we had the vote of affirmation before this message and not after. I was a little nervous. Not kidding, I wasn't nervous, but anyway. Um, so today we're gonna, I'm going to start with um, a couple of quotes from uh, a book that, that um, Kyle and I read about a year ago. It's called um, The End of Me. In the beginning of that book, the author talks about when Jesus became real, and this is something that we have talked about as a church a lot. Um, oh, Bethany's waving. I have printed outlines. If any of you guys would like a copy of those, she has those in the back. Feel free to go grab one real quick. Uh, it's also on the Faith Life app if you want to pull that up. It's in the digital bulletin, so you can see it there as well. Um, so Kyle and I are reading this book, um, and, and this, this passage today, for me, as I, as I was reading it, this is where it brought my mind. Today, the title of the message is The Cost of Me. And, and so we're going we're gonna to look at that, and I'm going to kind of bring that together at the end. But I want to start with a couple of quotes this morning. Uh, I was saying in the gathering place, we've talked about that people don't really come to know who the Lord is. They don't really come into a, a relationship that is of the fullness or the beginning of the fullness that God wants it to be until they get to the end of themselves, right? We've had that conversation a lot, that there's a point in most of our lives where we, we just couldn't do it anymore, and Jesus became realer in that moment than he'd ever been prior to that. And so he starts out the book with this. He, he asked this guy, this author, Kyle Eidelman, asked this question of his congregation. He said, when did Jesus become real for you? And these are some of the, the, the less specific um, answers, but here's some of the ones he got. And, and these echoed certainly for my life, and I know they will for you. He said, Jesus became real when I could no longer pretend that I was in control. Jesus became real when I had to admit I couldn't fix things. Jesus became real when I had no one else to turn to. Jesus became real when I had disappointed everyone who loved me. We've talked about this a lot, okay? And the, the title of this book is The End of Me, 
where real life and the upside down ways of Jesus begins, okay? And I love the way that Kyle Eilerman describes this. And so I want to read this quote to you today. It's on the screen. Read it along with me. Hang in there with me, okay? Don't, don't get lost in this. It's a little bit long, but it's so, so good. Jesus became real when I came to the end of me. Even though most of us can point to a significant event like the ones above, getting to the end of me is not just one moment in life. Reaching the end of me is a daily journey I must make because it's where Jesus shows up and my real life in him begins. Getting to the end of me is not an easy journey because me doesn't want to go there. Me doesn't like confrontation. And me is most interested in the promotion and success of me. Me would rather, would much prefer to read a book about advancing me, not ending me. But Jesus said in Luke 9 that whoever wants to hang on to this life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will find it. He said a lot of seemingly upside down things like that. I've come to realize that if me gets his way, I'll miss out on the real life I'm meant to live, the life in which I love others and make a difference in the world. In our text today, we're going we're gonna to see that Jesus is moving to Jerusalem. He is on his way there to celebrate the Passover. And as he moves from town to town and miracles are being performed, this, this huge crowd is gathering around him. And as he's moving and this crowd is getting larger and larger, he turns around and he makes a statement to them. Okay? So today, I want us to look at this conversation. I want to look at these things that Jesus says to this large crowd that is amassing around him so that we can understand what it is that God is calling us individually to be in this church that he has created, the gathering place. Because if we individually are not fulfilling our call and our role, specifically what God has called us to, then the church itself cannot be what God has called it to be. And I want to say this as, as kind of a, a, um, a precursor, and this, this goes about everything I'll ever say from this stage. Okay? You're going to hear me tell a lot of stories about youth ministry. You're going to hear me tell a lot of stories about foster care. You're going to hear me tell a lot of cowboy stories, okay? And I want you to hear me on this. By me telling those stories, it's not me wanting you to be like me. And it's not me trying to convince you that those are three areas of your life that you need to step up in, okay? I share those stories because they're the only ones that I have, okay? I've spent the last 18 years of my life in youth ministry. Most of my stories and areas where I've really grown are wrapped up in that. Okay, because that's been, most of my adult life has been in youth ministry. Same thing with foster care. You guys kind of know our story. I've shared it a lot, but a lot of my life, especially here as a member of TGP, has been wrapped up in, excuse me, in foster and orphan care. Okay, so I'm sharing those stories because those are the ones I have. I'm not, certainly not clever enough to try to use those to manipulate you into doing something that I want you to do. That is never my goal, okay? Is everybody clear on that? Okay, I share those stories because they're the ones that I own. I can't tell your story. Glenn's talked about that a lot. All we have is our own story. So with that said, we're going to jump into the scripture, but I want you guys to understand that when I talk about youth ministry, when I talk about foster care, it's not my goal to convince every one of you guys to be a youth pastor, okay? We got that covered at this location for now, okay? So just, just be with me on that, okay? So Luke 14, 25 through 33, let's read this together. It'll be up on the screen or you can open up in your, in your Bible or on your device. Now, great crowds had accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first Sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let me ask a question, and, and, and this is rhetorical for me, and I don't know if you've ever considered this, but we've heard this passage preached before. Okay, and it and for me, I had I have very negative connotations of this scripture when I first see it, and I think for me the reason for that is because it usually comes with a list, or it comes with a big ask. You know, a preacher will will share this passage and he'll say, "Okay, you're supposed to do it. Jesus is calling you to it." But if we really look at the heart of what Jesus is doing here, this is not about him making a big ask. This is about him revealing truth. And, and I mentioned a while ago as a as a church. We're reading through the, 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 the Bible, okay? And, and we started in Genesis. We just began Exodus this weekend. Um, and, and when I look at this passage, and I tried to identify for myself this, this week, as I looked at this and I had these negative feelings, I said, and, you know, I asked the Lord, I said, God, what is it in me that is making me feel this way? And he said, it's sin and it's pride. It's me. Because what this passage is is a call away from myself. It's a call to be obedient to Christ no matter what. Okay, and, and as I, I went into Bethany yesterday, I was so excited because as I began to read the book of Exodus, the Lord just completely opened up a new idea to me. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, that's not in Exodus, that's in Genesis, I'm not confused. Okay, in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, his intention was is for them to be in a perfect relationship with him, with God. That relationship was fouled up by sin. But in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, that relationship was about Adam and Eve and God. Them directly with him. There was a union there that happened. And as soon as they chose to be disobedient and sin entered the world through their disobedience, the story no longer became about Adam and Eve, but it became about Adam, or not Adam and Eve and God, it became about Adam and Eve. They went from focusing everything they had on this God that he created them, who created them specifically for a relationship with him, to everything became about them. Immediately in that story, we see them focusing on themselves. They realize that they're naked. You, you can't get any more focused on yourself than that, okay? All of a sudden, the story changes. And so in our story today... As we look at this, what the Lord revealed to me is that what Jesus is doing is not just trying to thin the brush. He's not just trying to make the crowd smaller because it's gotten obnoxiously large. He's revealing truth. He is saying to this group of people, this is what God intended originally, that this relationship would be about me and you, not about just you. And he's trying to develop that truth. So let's look at this today. And, and I've got some, uh, the outline kind of for me is a little goofy, but um, you'll see what I mean in a minute. I don't have points I don't have numbers on my main points but then there's um, it's goofy you'll see all right so number one being a disciple of Christ means that he is the most important thing in your life let's look at 25 and 26 again real quick before we before we dive into this 
Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now obviously when we read that passage, if you're anything like me, you go, wait, hate those people? I thought we were called to love everyone. One of the, you know, the, major, the most important commandments is love your neighbor as yourself. Surely that includes your family and your kids, right? Right? As I dig into this, this word hate that's used here, th- this is hyperbole. Jesus is not saying, I literally want you to hate these people. He's saying that when, you, when people look at your life and they compare your love for God to your love for these other people, it would seem as if you hate them because your love for God is so great. Wrap your brain around that for a minute. He's not saying you should hate anyone. He's saying your love for God should be so incredible that everything else seems as if it was hate. Christ and other people or things cannot share predominance in your heart. In Luke chapter 16 this week, in verse 13, we read, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This story comes out of the parable that Jesus tells about the managers. Remember the story? Uh, the, 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 the conqueror comes in and he sets these men above them and he gives them a certain amount of money. And there's a whole story that happens there. But at the end of that story, Jesus points out that if you, if, if you try to put God in money or if you try to put God in anything else in the same place, it never works out. You, you can't have, um, you can't have a, a, a area of your life where God is equal to anything else. We, we've talked about that before. We understand that our priority is supposed to be God. But, but for me, and as I reflected on my week this week, and I look at how I spent my time, I looked at how I spent my money, I looked at the relationships that I poured into and those that I didn't, I had to ask myself, and I want you to ask yourself, is God the most important thing in my life? Does, does the story of my week communicate that God is greater than everything? And I'll, I'll, I'll be transparent with you. For me this week, that is not the case. I had a hard week this week. It was just, and nothing major, just little struggles here and there. But things that, that stole my time away that I should have been spending with God. In our, in our reading this week as well, we looked at the story of the rich young ruler who, who goes to God and said, look, I've done all of these things. I've kept all the commandments. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, we've well, done everything but one thing. Because Jesus sees his heart and he understands this man. And he says, you, you are correct. You have done, you have kept all the commandments. But one thing you lack, sell all that you have and follow me. And it says that the prince goes away, the rich young ruler goes away sad because he has many things. I think I find myself in that story and I think you probably find yourself in that story. Because as a church, we have come so far. We, have, we feel as if we have given so much and we have. But what Jesus is trying to communicate is that until we have given it all, we have not given enough. There are areas in our lives that that we still have not given up. You hear what this man is saying. Jesus hears what this man is saying, but he knows the condition of our heart. And we can, the enemy will be in us and he will try to convince us. He will say, look at how much you've done. Look at how much you've given. Look how much of your week you've already given away. But that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's not saying just give this much and that's enough. He's saying give it all. For us, this is good and bad news, okay? Because there are things in our lives that are really easy to give up. There are things in your life that would would cause others to stumble their sin. 
that's out there that for you it's like, oh, that's not bothering me. I'm good with that. But then there are other areas of our lives that are extremely difficult for us to give up. Those difficult things, those hardest places in our lives, that's where Jesus is going first. Those hard places are where we need him to go the most. Because those are the things that in our heart are in equal to God or even above. And so those are the things that he's going to attack first. And so we cannot let the enemy convince us, well, I've done all of this, and so I'm a pretty good guy. We've got to let the Holy Spirit come into our lives and evaluate us and say, hey, look, this thing right here that you're ignoring, I can, I'm not going to ignore it. This is sin. We fall into a trap so often of looking at the people that are sitting around us and we go, you know, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not like Maddie Crump, you know. Just picking on you because I can. She said I hugged her too hard this morning. I don't know what's up with that. We can't compare ourselves to others. It's a trap of the enemy. When we try to look at ourselves look at, and, and look at the people that are sitting next to us or, or look at our church and compare it to other people, because look, we're different than other churches, but we got sin just like they do. Okay? We're not perfect. We're far from it. We're just a bunch of sinners gathered up. That's where, our, that's where our name come from. Okay? Came from. How God, how country is that? We cannot fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to other people. That's, that is a, a trap of the enemy. Okay? Last point on that one that I want to make is we have to remove anything that stands between God and ourselves in order to restore our relationship. When Adam and Eve first sinned, that sin separated them from God. And even though we are believers, sin still separates us from God in some ways. And, and, and let me clarify what I mean by that. You know, you know that whenever you sin, that immediately it feels like you're a little bit further away from God. You feel ashamed. You feel guilty. And it makes you want to kind of avoid God. I've shared this with you guys before. I read one time, I don't remember if it was Tozer or somebody else, but he says a, a sign of spiritual maturity is that when we sin, we don't run from God, we run to him. But we all understand that when we make mistakes, and the same thing is true in relationships in our lives, is that when we make mistakes, when we sin against someone else, it causes division, and we tend to move ourselves away from them. And what we need to do is pour harder into those relationships. But we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives in such a way that we are willing to lay it all out on the table and say, God, whatever it is in my life that is separating from me, from you, you can have it. Get rid of it. Okay? Next point. You cannot be a disciple if you're not willing to bear your own cross. Luke 14, 27. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. True disciples are cross bearers. It is in their hearts to bear their cross the moment that it is required of them. When we think of disciples, my brain immediately goes to, you know, the twelve but then also I think of Paul. You know, I was looking today, you know, Paul was, was beheaded. Um, Peter was crucified upside down. We need to understand, we need a new understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know about you, I can't make assumptions for your life, but what I was taught growing up, my idea of what it meant to be a believer is vastly different than what I read in this passage right? We, I grew up in a church that was full of, I'll use a fancy word to show y'all how smart I am, moralistic therapeutic deism, right? Okay, that's a fancy word for saying your church was a social club. I grew up in those. 
where it was all about morality. It was about just be a good person and then you get to go to heaven. That's false. It's not how it works. Okay, but that's what the focus was on behavior. Set up straight in church. Don't make noise. Go to Sunday school. Go to youth group. Go to Wednesday night Bible study. Do all these things and then God will approve of you. That's what I grew up with. And I know that the same is probably true for a lot of you guys. But we need a new understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus doesn't mean we go to all the things. Being a follower of Jesus means that we leave everything aside and say nothing is more important than what you and I are about right here in this relationship. Nothing is more important in my life than being obedient to who you are and what you're asking me to do. This is the point in Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church. This is the point that he is making. In the beginning of that book, he talks about if you're on a desert island and all you have is the Bible and you read the Bible and you, you get an image of what the church is and then you were to compare that to what we see today, there's such a vast difference. And it's because all of us have grown up with this idea that just being good people or at least being better than the person sitting next to us is what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And what this passage is communicating, what Jesus is saying to this crowd is, you want to be a part of what I'm doing? You want to be in a relationship with me? Well, my relationship began back with Adam and Eve, and in the beginning it was about me and Adam and Eve, not about just Adam and Eve. So you want to be a follower of me? Give up you and follow me. In order to bear our cross, we must deny ourselves. Bearing crosses is not fun. That means you're going through suffering. We spent all of Advent looking at, at how the biblical story of Christmas is about suffering and about the things that the characters in the story went through in order for Jesus to come in the way that God needed him to come. And we looked at how that suffering ultimately ended in joy. Okay? Bearing our cross includes experiencing things um, loss of things, loss of people, loss of health, and even sometimes loss of life, okay? There is going to be times in your life and in mine where God is going to call us to endure a great suffering on behalf of him or his people. And we need to be ready for when that call comes to step into that suffering and say, okay, God, let's do it. I can tell you from personal experience, and you probably got some of your own, that is not the way my brain works. And it's not the way yours does either. Our tendency as human beings is to move away from pain. And what God is saying is I need you to move into that pain and embrace it because I am working in your life. Okay? Some examples of that, things that I didn't, thankfully I didn't have to go through, but carrying care right in the middle of is, is having to return a foster child that you've cared for as your own. Praise the Lord, she's back. If you guys didn't know that, okay? Alyssa's back. Moving away from your family and your loved ones, that's difficult. Okay, walking through um, a major disease or health issue. Okay, but in order to be cross bearers, we not only have to be willing to bear our own crosses, but we've got to be willing to bear the crosses of the people that God's put in our life. This is yet another level. It's not just about us suffering. It's about us suffering with those that are suffering around us, about us gathering together. And look, we, we understand that. We know what that feels like. And here's what's crazy is I'm talking about this suffering, and in your mind, probably like mine, you're going, oh, this does not sound fun. But I want you to consider, when you walk through someone else with suffering, you know what that feels like and you like it. I'll tell you why you like it, because it feels good. An example is, is when uh, somebody's admitted to the hospital and you go. Doesn't that make you feel good when you're there? Right? Yeah. 
or somebody has a new baby. Everybody shows up at the hospital for a new baby. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't know, that's not fun for mom, okay? When somebody's going through a tough breakup and you go and you spend time with them, when um, somebody's sick or if somebody loses a job and we go and we embrace that person, that's what we do in life group, right? And that feels good, us bearing one another's burdens. This is, the enemy wants to get in our head and say, oh, Will's talking about all this suffering. This is going to really suck. I'm not sure where he's going with this, okay? But what, but what we know to be truth is that when we suffer together, there is joy in that. There is comfort in that. There is peace in that. When we drop everything gladly in order to take care of one another, the result of that for all parties involved is joy. It may not feel like it in the moment, but certainly on the back end after the moment has passed, you go, wow, I'm really glad I had those people in my life. Or you might say to yourself, man, I'm really glad I was able to drop whatever was going on so that I could be with this person because they really needed it. And it makes us feel good because that's the way God designed us. He designed us to live in community, okay? God is calling us to expand our idea of what it means for us to bear the, our crosses and the crosses in our community, okay? I, I'm, I made a list right there that I just went through really quick of things that, like, are normal for us. That, you know, somebody has a baby, you go visit them at the hospital and you bring them some food. Or um, somebody gets sick, so you go visit them in the hospital. Those are things that are culturally norms for us. But I believe that God is saying in order for us to be a community that is progressing, a, a community that is living outside of what our culture calls normal, is we have to expand what it means to bear one another's crosses. And I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I don't want to give any specific examples because I don't want your mind to think, well, if it's not this, then that's not what Will's talking about. Okay? I mentioned already Tozer on Wednesday morning talked about the fact that bearing our cross isn't a convenience and we cannot live like it is. We can't be cross bearers and not be willing to bear it the very moment that is required. That's what Tozer was about on Wednesday morning. So when I read that and I realized what God had me in this week, I said, man, this is it. Look, bearing crosses will never be convenient because bearing crosses is painful and it's hard and hard and painful things are never convenient, ever. But we have to learn to live in a way where when our body needs us, when the people around us need one another, we're willing to drop everything and be obedient to God's call to be with them, okay? Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said this. He said, Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In order for us to truly understand and live in relationship with God the way he intended, we must give up our rights to ourselves, our time, and our resources. That's a hard pill to swallow, right? That's not something that we culturally talk about a lot. But in order for us to be the community that God's called us to be, we have to be willing up to give up everything. Y'all, this is not Will saying this. You just read it with me in this scripture, in this passage that Jesus is addressing this crowd of people that are following him. He's saying, you want to be a part of what I'm doing. This is what the cost is going to be. I watch a lot of TED Talks, like probably an unhealthy amount of TED Talks. I'm kind of addicted to them, okay? But, but if you watch enough, some of you guys are laughing because you know, right? You were right there with me, all right? Here's what, I'll, if you watch a lot of TED Talks, you're going to see a theme, okay? The people that they ask to come and give TED Talks are people who have done like crazy, extraordinary things. Like I watched one the other day about this guy who free soloed 
some mountain in Yosemite, it's stupid. Like you look at it and it's like a smooth surface and he climbed it with no ropes and bare hands. Okay, I mean, it's just dumb stuff, all right? People like that or people who have created some kind of technology that's revolutionizing the world. Okay, but all these guys and ladies have a couple of things in common. One, they have a goal. They're a dreamer. And they put in whatever it takes to make it happen, right? You see that theme over and over again. And so what they always say is, man, dream, dream big dreams, work really hard, and one day you'll accomplish your goal. Like that's the, that's the overall arching theme of most of the TED Talks I've ever seen. And, and here's the deal is those people have done those amazing feats. They've created amazing things with their own abilities and their own talents. Imagine what we as the church could do if we just allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does in our lives, using his abilities and his talents and his gifts, and we're just a warm body that's doing what he says. We take over the TED Talk world, and, and we'd all have the same message. Not me. It's the Holy Spirit in me. But imagine what we could accomplish. I mean, there are people in this world that are, like, way smarter than me, if you guys didn't know that, okay? And they're doing amazing things. But nobody is smarter or more talented than the Holy Spirit. And, and God has a church globally that for the most part is sitting stagnant, not doing anything, who are unwilling to, to harness the power that he's provided for us through the Holy Spirit. Imagine the impact that we could have on this world if we would just apply ourselves to the only goal that God has given us, which is to abide in him. Look, I said earlier that these messages typically come with a list of do's. There's a big ask Here's the only ask and the only to do that's ever going to be on our list. Abide in Christ. If we did that on a daily basis, we ab abided in Christ, we listened to what he said in that day, and we acted on what he said to say, we would change this community just like that. And look, I'm going to be honest with you. People are going to look at what we do and they're going to say, this, this seems strange. These people are a little bit weird, Okay? But here's the thing, what I'm asking of you, what the Holy Spirit is asking of me and of you, is right here. It's in the scripture, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. This is not Will's words, this is the Holy Spirit. How long until we commit to staying the course? I've shared with you guys before, it sounds like Glenn and I preach the same sermons over and over, and we only preach what God is giving us. Okay, but look, like I've said before, I was telling somebody this morning, God's been working in this in me all week, okay? So don't feel like this is me talking at you. <laughs> this is me talking out of this is what God's been saying to Will all week, okay? You must consider the cost of following Christ. In Luke 14, 28 through 31, let's look at that again, and we're gonna, we're gonna, I want to bring out a few things. He says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to counter, encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he has, is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Jesus gives two very specific examples as he's talking to them. The first is he's talking about expense, okay? It will cost us our time and resources to be faithful in our following of Christ, okay? He uses the imagery of a tower for a couple of reasons. Number one, towers are hard to build and they're expensive. 
because towers by nature get taller and taller. And the taller it is, the more materials it takes to get to that height, the more people it takes to make that happen. You're talking to a guy who builds stuff, okay? I can tell you from experience, the taller something is, the more expensive it is. That's the way it works. He uses that imagery of a tower because our relationship to God is much like a tower. We are growing. I used to have a pastor, his name was Jay Roddy. Jay Roddy always had these big old pant legs on, and he would do this, and they would shake, and he would talk about going to the next level with God, okay? The next level. God is calling us daily. We're never going to be there. Every day when I get up and spend time with the Lord, he's got the next thing he wants me to do. But we don't get to go to the next level until we've completed this one. It's just like a video game, guys. Okay? You don't get to fight the boss until you beat it, all the levels going up to it. God is calling us to grow daily. Okay? And he's, he's communicating the idea that as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we're growing closer to God. Y'all remember the story of the Tower of Babel? They were building that tower for themselves, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that God is calling us to build a tower to get to Him, okay? Again, this is, this is metaphoric. Don't go build a tower at home. But God is calling us to grow daily in our relationship with Him. The second thing that He points out and when He's talking about the King is that there will be hazard. We must consider the difficulties that we will be encountered, Okay? He purposely invokes this image of warfare because for you and I as believers, we are in war. The enemy is fighting against us with everything that he has. As our part of counting the cost, we need to be fully aware of the fact that we are in a constant battle with the enemy. We've talked about that over and over and over again over the last year. Okay? And the enemy fights dirty and he will use whatever means are necessary in order to try to defeat us. Okay? We must consider that those things are going to happen. I read a commentary this week who also shared these two points in this way. He said, In the first parable, Jesus says, Sit down and reckon whether you can afford to follow me. Sit down and reckon whether you can afford to follow me. And in the second, he says, Sit down and reckon whether you can afford to refuse my demands. The cost is high, and it must be paid in full. The cost of us following Christ is high, and it can only be paid in full. Verse 33, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Guys, we cannot be partially committed. You can't be half in or half out. You're 100% in or you're 100% out. There is no halfway. We are all in or not at all. Jesus, in this passage, calls us to renounce all. Everything. Not some of it. This is difficult. And it's hard. But it's necessary. We have to all be in a place in our lives where Jesus is the most important thing. Our call as believers is the most important thing. This is how we progress as a community. When all of us collectively say, we will be obedient to Jesus no matter what. Blank check, you name it, I will do it. That's what he's called us to. That's what he is saying to this group of people that are following him. Because he knows where he's headed. He's headed for the cross. He's counted the cost. He is aware of what's going on. And he knows what's going to happen to those that call themselves followers when they get there. And so he's saying to this group of people, you want to be a part of what I'm doing? Fantastic. Here's what it's going to cost you. Church, you want to be part of the gathering place? Fantastic. 
here's what's going to cost you. Because I, I am, you guys know me, okay? I'm a dad, and, and you know that with my kids, when I, daddy says it, it has to be done right then. That's how it works, okay? You're not my kids. I'm not going to act that way with you. But that is my personality, okay? I'm not putting my personality on you, but I'm telling you the expectation that Christ has of me and the expectation that Christ has of you is that when he says something, he expects us to do it because he is a good father. In order to truly be a disciple of Christ, we must consider the cost, weigh it out, and decide that it's worth it. In order to really be a disciple, we have to look at our lives, weigh out what it's going to cost us, and be committed to doing that. All of us find ourselves in the same place today, guys, completely unable to achieve the things that Jesus has called us to. Completely. We're aware of that. I, wanna, I want you to have this reminder today, okay? This life of following Jesus that we've all been called to as members of the Gathering Place Church, we have committed to completely relying on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When you became a member of the church, when you went through new member training, what we talked about was the fact that as a member of the Gathering Place Church that our reliance is not on our ability, our talents. Our reliance is on the Holy Spirit. Okay, we know that we don't have the ability, the power, the strength, or the talent to accomplish anything on our own. Okay, this is not about Will or Glenn or anybody else trying to build something. Look, I have no ambition in terms of making a name for myself or for this place or to fill it full of people. My only ambition is to know Christ daily. And my only goal for you is that you would have that same pleasure. We must daily commit ourselves to this goal, okay? But we have to rely on Jesus to make it happen. I'm not strong enough, I'm not disciplined enough, I'm not good enough to do it on my own. And I will readily admit that to anybody who asks. And you are in the same place. All of us have to rely on Him. Okay, look, Jesus is not saying, do this or else. That's not what this conversation is. Jesus is not turning around to this people, this group of people who are following him and saying, do these things or else. And I am not standing before you today saying, give up everything or else. Jesus is saying, just so you know, this is what, we should be, is what I'm expecting. So just so you know, this is what I'm expecting of me and of you. This is not a do it or else. This is the truth about what God is calling us to, okay? Look, the choice is completely up to us. You, we all get to decide on a daily basis, am I going to do these things that God has called me to do today or am I not, okay? And like many in the crowd, some are going to choose to walk away. And that's okay. We are all in different places. All of us. But there, there are some who are going to say, you know what, I've counted that cost and I've waited and the cost is too high for me. I'm out. Jesus didn't go and grab those people and coddle them and say, but really, no, like, you should be a part of this. That's not, Jesus says, look, this is what it is. He drew a line in the sand. He said, you want to be a part of what I'm doing? Fantastic, come on. Here's what it's going to cost you. I, I titled this sermon, The Cost of Me, for two reasons. I had two ideas in mind when I titled it that. It's going to bring it kind of all back together for us. My cost to Jesus was high. I cost him his life. You cost him his life. 
and he readily gave it for us. It's like that. He knew when, God knew when he created Adam and Eve, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God were all together. He said, well, we're going to make this thing, these people, and it's going to have a high cost for us, but it's worth it because we want a relationship with them. So our cost is high, okay? But the cost of me living for me is also high because the way that the Holy Spirit chooses to make himself known is through his people. In Colossians, we've looked at this a bunch, it says that the hope of glory is Christ in me. Christ's plan for making himself known in the world is you and I. And the cost of me living for me is now passed on, not to Jesus, we skip right over him. But that cost, if I don't live for, for Christ, if I live for me, I'm asking you to pay that cost. Track with me on this. If I'm living for me, that means I am not communicating the things that God is doing in my life to you. I'm not sharing, as, as Scripture tells us, in life with you, okay? And, and the same is true for you. If you're not living for Christ, if you're living for yourself, if that's where you find yourself, you're asking your friends, your family, and your neighbors to pay that high cost because they're the ones that are, are losing the benefit of your relationship with Him, and so are you. They must pay because we are unwilling to set our own desires aside and be the people that God has called us to be. This morning, Blackaby brought out um, Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. It says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He said, There is a positive aspect of suffering. Through it, we become like Christ. Now, this is this morning. I've been, I've been in this all week, this idea of suffering for Christ. And this morning, the Holy Spirit says this. There's a positive aspect to all this. It's through our suffering. It's through this daily giving up what we want, what we desire for the Holy Spirit. When that happens, the result of that is that we become like Christ. And that is when we find a fulfillment. That's when we find joy. That's when we find peace because all of those things are the character and the nature of Christ. So here's the question for today. Don't answer this out loud. Bring this home with you this week. Ponder it. Are you willing to pay whatever the price is in order to become like Christ? Are you willing to pay the price? There are things in your life that God can only teach you through suffering if you become bitter over your hardships you're closing off that area of your life if you become bitter about something you say i'm not dealing with that you're closing off that area of your life to god and saying this one's off limits you don't get to have any of that one black be pointed out this he said king saul was made king without ever enduring suffering and therefore king saul lacked maturity and on the flip side of that king david suffered much under Saul before he gained the crown. And as a result of that, we know him as a man after God's own heart because he knew God because of his suffering. That's what God wants for us. But I don't want, I don't want you to leave today with a negative taste in your mouth. I know this is heavy. It's heavy for me. But here's the, here's the, the point is God's plan for us has always been to be in relationship with him. And the only way we get to have that relationship in the way that he intended it is for us to quit thinking about ourselves. 
Because it's not about us. We can't be a community that, that moves forward if we're focused on ourselves. We cannot be the men and women that God has called us to be. We can't be the parents that God has called us to be. We can't be the friends that God has called us to be if we're focused on ourselves. Look, this week, here's what I want. I want for myself and I want for you. I want us to, to really consider the cost. I want us to think about, I want myself to think about what are, the, what are the things in my life that God has been saying, hey, Will, you need to quit that and get rid of that. Not under my own power or my own ability, but just allowing that area of my life to be under God's reign and God's control and then saying, okay, God, I hear you. I know you want it out. Handle it. And then do whatever he says. That's the only way we get to be the church that God's called us to be. Look, I am, I am excited about being the teaching pastor of this church. I'm excited about it because it pushes me to learn and to, to dig. And I, I tell you, I was so, like, I was giddy jumping up and down yesterday when, I, when, when the Holy Spirit revealed to me that this, this passage is not about God taking everything. It's about God giving us everything. If we'll just stop focusing on ourselves. If you will stop focusing on yourself, if I will stop focusing on myself, God will give us the world. This is not, this is not like some Joel Osteen, uh, you know, uh, blessing stuff. This is, this is the Holy Spirit saying, look, this is what I intended for you guys. I intended for you guys to have an awesome relationship with me. But the only way that can happen is if you quit focusing on yourself. Focus on me for a minute, right? That's not that complicated. I mean, it is, but it isn't. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the challenge this week in my own life to, to get to the end of me. God, it, it, you know, I think sometimes that I'm there, that I've made it, and then you point out that I am very obviously not gotten to the end of myself. Father, I know that it is your desire and your goal for us to know you personally in new and deeper ways every day, Father, but you have revealed this week that the only way that that happens is if we quit focusing on ourselves and quit trying to um, accomplish things under our own power. So, Father, for myself and for this church, Lord, I ask that you would give us what we need in order to accomplish this goal, that you would allow us to, to open up our hearts to you completely and allow you to move and work in the areas of our life that we previously have not allowed you to work and move. God, I'm asking that you would change the condition of our hearts to love you more, to love people more. Father, not for our own benefit, but for theirs and for yours. God, I know that it is your call for us to, to bless our communities, the people that you have put directly around us. God, I'm also very aware that you are saying today that in order for us to progress in that, we've got to get to the end of ourselves again. God, give us the courage to, to do that. Mm -hmm.